0: You're listening to Midori House, first broadcast on the 21st of June 2018 on Monocle 24. And welcome to Midori House, coming to you live from Studio One here in London. I'm Daniel Beige. On today's show, Turks are about to head to the polls, but will Recep Tayyip Erdogan's power grab and call for snap elections backfire? My guests Juliet Foster and Robin Lustig will be discussing this and the day's other top stories, including Hungary's parliament has passed new laws which criminalize any individual or group that offers to help illegal migrants claiming asylum. How will Brussels respond? to the so-called Stop Soros laws. And Jacinda Ardern has become the first leader to give birth while in office in three decades.
1: Congratulations. Best wishes to the whole family. And forget about responsibilities for a short while.
0: But should we be worried about the man steering the ship while she's on maternity leave? All that plus, why has Algeria switched off the internet? That's all to come on Midori House with me, Daniel Beach. So welcome to Midori House. My guests today, I'm pleased to say, are Juliet Foster, journalist and broadcaster, and Robin Lustig, former presenter of The World Tonight on BBC Radio 4. Welcome both back to Midori House. We head first to Turkey, where elections will be held this weekend, ushering in a new system of government. Recep Tayyip Erdogan narrowly won a referendum last year to scrap the role of prime minister, giving sweeping new powers to himself should he again be elected. But Erdogan would not have imagined he was this vulnerable before... Uh, He called this snap vote. The lira has tanked and the opposition looking more and more united. Uh, Robin, how much trouble is he in, do you think? It's very difficult to say. Personally, I think he's going to get his
1: way. Mm. Mr. Erdogan is a man who's used to getting his way uh, for many, many years now. Turkey's a very sad story, I think, because there was a time not that long ago when it was being held up as an example of how a predominantly Muslim country could also be a democratic country. It's hard now to make that case. I remember when I was in Turkey just after the Arab uprisings in 2011, and there were quite a lot of pro-democracy activists from various Arab countries who were looking at Turkey and asking themselves if this was the way to go. Uh, To be fair, a lot of um, pro-democracy activists in Turkey were saying to them, no, Mr Erdogan is not a genuine Democrat. I think events since then have proved them right. My suspicion is that Mr. Erdogan will win. He will get more powers. He will continue to cast Turkey in his
0: own image. And it will be bad news for democracy in Turkey. Well, Erdogan has jailed thousands of opponents and controls the media. Uh, But Juliet, how has he gotten himself into this position, do you think?
2: It really goes back to the coup, because there was a coup around Mm 2015-16. And um, it was his response to that, because What I've noticed is the the misuse of the word terrorist, which probably sounds like a slightly curious thing to say, but it's the fact that he has used it against his enemies. So even if you are a humble journalist and you've written anti-Erdogan pieces, you've been rounded up. He has purged the government. Mm. He has purged the military where this coup obviously started. The military made a huge miscalculation. Because they assumed that the public would fall in with them, and of course they didn't, because you're talking about people who've lived through those years of instability triggered by the military. Erdogan played a master hand when during the coup he actually used new technology to go on to go on the telephone and and right. encourage Turks to actually come out on the streets to save the country. So there is this sense of gratitude, I suppose, but he has played an absolute blinder of a hand putting his 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 favourite people in charge of the media. So, this has really skewed the coverage because it means that if you are one of the opposition candidates, you can't really rely on the newspapers because the newspapers are parroting their support for Erdogan. There's very little places where they can go. They have tried to use the new media, and yes, in many areas they are very, very strong. But he has played a very, very clever hand, and Mm -hmm. I share Robin's scepticism. Although, having said that, I mean, you talked about the opposition. Yes, they are united in fighting him. But can they stay united enough that if, for example, they do manage to take control of the parliament because it is a parliamentary Mm. and presidential election which is happening here, can they stay united enough that they can thwart his ambitions, contain him. I suspect not. And he's going to exploit that. He is a master tactician. That is why he has survived. And that is why he has ambitions to go beyond
0: 2023 to die in mm. office, effectively. Robin, let's pick up uh, Juliet's point here. Let's say Erdogan wins, uh, but does not get the majority in parliament. Is that still a win for the opposition party somehow? It's it's halfway to a win, mm. isn't it? Um, I mean, the whole point of the... The
1: way in which he's trying to change the constitution is to accrue more and more power to the president and less and less power Mm -hmm. to other centers of uh, power in in the political system. Uh, Traditionally, the Turkish parliament has been fractured. It's been disunited. The opposition parties in Turkey have a long history of being disunited. Let us not forget the Kurdish issue Mm. in Turkey, which is absolutely crucial. Mm -hmm. Um, He has again... Instrumentalized the Kurdish issue to his own benefit. You've got Syria, of course, on the border. Mm. Huge numbers of Syrian refugees in Turkey. You've got the Turkish army active in parts of Syria in order to uh, deal with what they see as a Kurdish problem there. It's intensely complex. Erdogan, I think, is still the man who has most of the cards. I think he's going to get what he wants. Mm. Mm. And can I
2: pick up on the point which you made, actually, about the Syrians? I mean, we, we could not underplay this because you Remember that when you had this mass flow of people leaving Syria as uh, the the, the countries sort of fell, imploded really under the weight of the civil war, it was the Turks who took them in. And Syrian refugees living in Syria, they do have the right to vote. Mm-hmm. And we know that some of the other candidates, they have said, look, you know, we we do want the Syrians to leave. They've been very couched in their language. They've said once once the situation in Syria settles. Well, when on earth will that be? But Erdogan has said, look, you you should you should have the right to vote you've been living here. Mm-hmm. So of course, that's another important base That will actually garner him support. Don't forget as well that um, relations between Turkey and Germany are fractured. You have a large Turkish population living in Germany too. So it'll be interesting to see how they will vote and what bearing, if any, their their votes will actually have
0: on the final outcome. So there are lots of elements in this story. Because of all these conflicts we've touched on, normally the opposition has been quite splintered. uh, Mm. More liberals, Islamists, Kurds, uh, and Turkish nationalists. Uh, Have they really galvanized enough get a result, though, uh, the opposition saying a runoff vote for president may be their best chance to actually get rid of Erdogan. It will be interesting if it mm-hmm. does go to a runoff, and, and from what I read, that that is a possibility.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, The economy, of course, is important. I mean, Erdogan's support was built over many years on economic progress in Turkey and he achieved a great deal in that sense and a lot of Turks have good reason to be grateful to him. The economy is not in such great shape now. Whether that then translates into a scepticism about him... I don't know. I, as I've already made clear, I have my doubts that it will, but mm. it's a possibility, certainly.
2: Yeah, I think you're absolutely right because traditionally the economy can be the undoing of a party, but I think that he has been in power for so long. And remember, there, there are areas of Turkey which were pretty impoverished. And in the years when we saw this boom in the Turkish economy, these these areas were able to rise. We have this, this huge middle class. Never underestimate the importance of the middle class. And I suppose that one of the factors which will come into play for many people is well better the devil you know because okay Mm. he's going through a weak phase at the moment but when he comes back he will be stronger and if this boom returns and more money comes into turkey then maybe it'll be worth it i mean how crass is it, I suppose, that people are prepared to to give up civil liberties, civil rights, if they feel at the end of the day it makes the country stronger and it sends out a message. And certainly, Turkey is in a slightly odd position because on the one hand, the West is very concerned about the way that the country has been going. But on the other hand, we need Turkey. Turkey is a mm-hmm. member of NATO. It's yes. got these massive armed forces behind it. You know, it has actually taken on many of the Syrian refugees, something which is often missed out in the discussion. Europe is, is tearing itself to pieces. Turkey has also wanted to join the EU, but it's been held back. It was dangled in front of it, the prospect, and now it's been kicked into the road for the time being. And, of course, Turkey will be important with, with any final resolution when and if we get there with Syria.
1: Never underestimate the attractiveness of the strong man mm-hmm. image. I Absolutely. Mean, you see that in Turkey, but you see it in many other countries as well. If a political leader can persuade enough voters that they are the strong candidate, they will represent the nation, they will defend its interests, mm. then that's a huge plus. But Fascinating you, stuff. Please, Juliet. As
2: I say though, you, you do have to ask yourself as well, what is the underlying objective of Recep Tayyip Erdogan? Because There is a conflict between the secular Turkey, the Turkey of Ataturk, the founding father of the state, and the move towards um, an Islamic state, a pure Islamic state, because remember, some of the secular initiatives that Ataturk brought in to actually modernise the Turkish state, they've been gradually picked away. And don't forget that Recep Tayyip Erdogan made remarks about um, the role of women, for example, that uh, women should not be, they shouldn't actually have political ambitions, even though one of the candidates is is female, but women should stay at home. <laughs> um, they, they're now being encouraged to wear face coverings. So it, to me, in in some respects, this isn't just about a strong man. It's about Turkey's future. Does it stay loyal to the the image that Atatürk had carved out for it? does it, or does it go to a state which is founded in in Recep Tayyip Erdogan's own image, that of a Turkey which is a very strong Islamic power? And don't forget, he's played to that as
0: well, conjuring up images of the past, comparing himself to some of the big figures mm-hmm. of Turkish history. A very excellent way to set up the election. Uh, so much at stake uh, coming up this weekend. I want to move now, uh, however, to Hungary, uh, where the country's parliament has passed new legislation that criminalizes lawyers and activists who help asylum seekers. This is uh, th- And migration is, once again, a top issue uh, facing governments in Germany, Italy, others. Uh, the far-right government of Viktor Orban has dubbed this legisl- legislation the Stop Soros Law, named for the billionaire philanthropist George Soros, the leader, uh, accused of supporting Muslim migrants. Orban has used the experience of 2015, I think, to gain support for his closed-door policies uh, when 400,000 people traveled through Hungary in the middle of the migrant crisis uh, on their way to Western Europe. But this year, there's only been 342 registered asylum seekers, uh, that in the first four months of this year. Uh, So then why is he passing these laws now, Robin? Well, the the, the key words in your
1: (laughs) introduction just there – Passed through Hungary. Mm -hmm. I mean, it it, it is extraordinary, and and I I find it very depressing that so many political leaders now can make capital out of encouraging uh, hatred towards immigrants, even when, on any rational basis, it's not really an issue. Mm -hmm. Hungary, compared to many other European nations, has very few migrants settling Mm. in Hungary, very few refugees, very few asylum seekers. Nevertheless, Mr. Orban, and this part, this this carries on, rightly, from what we were just saying about President Erdogan in Turkey, cultivates a strong man image, cultivates an image as a strong nationalist defending traditional Hungarian values. The truth, from where I sit, is that traditional Hungarian values are not under threat. Mm. Nevertheless, Mm. he has apparently persuaded enough Hungarians that they are and that he is the man to defend them. To blame one man, even if he's a billionaire, which he is, Mr Soros, for the ills of Central and Eastern Europe and of Hungary is absurd. Mm. Nevertheless, it has a potent appeal, quite plainly. Uh, I can't explain why it does, but it does. One has to recognise that. And uh, Mr Orban is uh, king of the roost. Mm. He he
2: rules. It's cheap cynicism, really, Mm. isn't it, to pick on on, on George Soros, a man who's respected in international financial circles for his acumen, notably for playing against the British pound. I think it was during the the, um, European exchange rate mechanism Crisis, and he betted he betted against the pound, and that helped to to swell his coffers. But he's he's done a very typical thing that you find with billionaire philanthropists. You give your money away. Bill Gates has done that with his medical mm. foundation, and in the case of George Soros, he has used his money to further the cause of education. Okay, he's paid for university education, etc., in Hungary, and also to to help fledgling democracies. Now, I would argue that that's very very noble. But on the other hand, if you are a nationalist and um, mm. you're trying to corner then, um, yeah, George Soros is, is is the ideal hate figure, and I use that word ideal very, very guardedly. But just to broaden it out a little bit, um, George Soros is not just um, a useful scapegoat for, for Victor Orban. You tend to find that in alt-right circles, he is the centre of really nasty anti-Semitic conspiracy theories. And um, clearly, Orban has tapped into that, which makes it even more reprehensible. And tragically, it has yielded him this success. And it is a tragedy because, Mm -hmm. you know, George Soros himself, he's a Holocaust survivor. He has put so much back in. And somewhere along the line, that has been very carefully airbrushed out of this
1: far-right narrative. It does seem to me that what's happening in Hungary is straight out of the sort of autocrat's playbook. Mm -hmm. What, What any autocrat fears most is somebody who is not beholden to them, mm. who can't be threatened by them, who has an alternative power base. In Soros's case, the power base is money yes. and is able to threaten them. Uh, Putin in Russia has done similar things. Any autocrat tries to shut down any kind of movement, any kind of activity which threatens their hold on power. Uh, the irony of this is that Soros was quite... Influential in the transition from Central and Eastern Europe from communism to post-communism. In that sense, you could argue that Hungarians have benefited Mm. from some of the money that Soros has spent on encouraging civil society movements, whether it was journalistic organizations, civil rights organizations, and others. Nevertheless, he is now, as Juliet says, being scapegoated, not only in Hungary, but elsewhere, Mm. and is the victim of all these quite absurd conspiracy theories, Mm. and I think it's very sad. Does he
0: still hold sway at all, though, in this debate? Juliet, do you think, in, in terms of his influence in Hungary, inside Hungary? Well, I
1: mean, l-
2: let's be clear about something: not that not all Hungarians voted for Viktor Orbán. Mm. There are people who have who have resisted him, but unfortunately, the t- they've been overwhelmed by the tide of the tide of populism. And you know, they're very very sad about what has happened to to to, to, to 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 George Soros because he did have his HQ in Hungary, but he's now had to close it down and move it. He's actually gone to Germany. So the question is, given what is happening with the AfD Alternative for Deutschland party, and again, these right wing forces gathering speed, really latching on to the immigration situation and the impact on Angela Merkel herself. She's bought time, yes, but there are question marks about her government and whether it's going to survive. In that sense, George Soros does have influence, but again, mm. as, as this figure that um, people can pick on, he's, it's very easy to use him to as, to add to add to this rather sort of toxic combination. But I mean, look, he does have leverage; he does have power. I mean, we've seen how he's using his money to actually fund one of the, the groups here. I think that actually wants to reverse the, the, the Brexit referendum. The result of that Brexit referendum will certainly do something to work with the, the anti-Brexit forces, but he is seen as this rather dark sinister figure but i think he's big enough to take it it's not going to stop him in terms of what he's doing and he can and does influence agendas and that's not necessarily a bad thing if it balances things out and certainly if it actually leads to um people questioning the tilt of europe at the moment and what i see is a basic lack of humanity quite frankly certainly when when you see there are people who are suffering and their suffering is being Turned into something very toxic and dangerous, and and seen as a threat that is overwhelming people and a threat to civilization, evoking this old language of the past. Mm. Uh,
0: the migrant quotas, I guess, is the idea that has caused the biggest problem in Eastern European countries, and and the problem they have with Brussels. Uh, where does that stand? Is that still the main issue here? Well, it, it, I think for many Hungarians it probably is, but it it actually makes me quite angry. Mm-hmm. Um, countries like
1: Hungary joined the European Union because mm. they regarded it as something that would bring them benefit. (laughs) It does indeed bring them benefits. It also brings them responsibilities. Part of the uh, price of joining the European Union is that you sign up to a set of values, a set of principles, which are to do with democracy and are to do with human rights. Now, it's beginning to look more and more as if Hungary, and it's not on its own, wants the benefits but doesn't want the responsibilities. The problem for the Brussels bureaucracy is that if they call Hungary out on this, they start to pull at a thread which threatens then to unravel the whole of the EU. Most EU members have broken rules one way or another. Uh, France and Germany broke the economic rules some years ago. Hungary, Poland, the Czech Republic are at risk of breaking other rules as well. The European Union is at a very, very crucial juncture at the moment. The UK's threatened departure, the migration crisis, the Italian government, and the economic mm. problems that it faces—all of those are threats to the EU. It doesn't feel, I don't think, strong enough to challenge Orban and say, hey, you signed up to a set of rules here. If you don't like him, get out. And that's the point. He knows that. Exactly.
2: He, he absolutely knows
1: that. Because the European <laughs> Union is in a weak position at the moment yeah. and he is in a strong position.
2: Yeah. And don't forget as well that I think Austria also has a far-right government as well. And it's this sense that if you if you actually punish Orban, and I use that word punish guardedly, there is this sense of him being picked on, or that's how he would interpret it, that his country is being picked on. And again, it reinforces the divides between the the Northern Europeans, the likes of Germany and France, and then you've got the Eastern Europeans. Okay, Austria is somewhere in the middle. It straddles the two camps, but it seems to have sort of tipped more towards the East. And this, you've got these these divisions at a time when this is a block that should be united. I'm sure that at some point it will be united, but not now, because the divisions are far too deep, and of course the real burning issue is immigration and how people mm-hmm. deal with this. It's overcoming the fears, and how on earth you do that I don't know. We certainly can't discuss it in the time that we've got available. We'll never come up with a solution.
0: <laughs> we can try, but we, you're right. we can try. We can do you're our right. best, certainly. Time is against us. Juliet Foster, Robin Lustig, here with me, Daniel Bage, on Midori House. Coming up next, Algeria turns off the the internet for high school exams.
2: How do you unpack stories in the most engaging way while building a credible and comprehensive brand? Monocle Films visits three media companies in Paris, Munich, and Tel Aviv to find out about the most innovative designs for paper and screen. It's good when you have lots of eyes or lots of thoughts on the same uh, topic and then at the end you can distill something new out of it. Uh, I've always been uh, interested in ideas from outside. This is
0: uh, important for me.
2: Designing the news, playing now in the film section at monocle.com.
0: Still with me, Juliet Foster and Robin Lustig. We head to New Zealand now, where Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern has given birth to a baby girl. The whole country followed the story closely in a wave of excitement. During the Prime Minister's six-week maternity leave, the country will be in the command of Winston Peters, the Deputy Prime Minister from a controversial populist party, New Zealand First. Uh, This story clearly connected with many people and New Zealand worldwide. Why why is that, Robin? Well, uh, Mr. Peters has been around a long time in New Zealand. I mean, let's start off by saying it's wonderful news
1: for the new mother and Mm -hmm. the new father. There's a baby, and that's nice, and everybody likes a good news story, and everybody loves babies. That's fine. Um, It's a shame, I think, that the news that a Prime Minister is having a baby should be of such global Mm. importance. Mm. I wish there were far more Prime Ministers who were both young and female and had babies. Nevertheless, there it is, you've got a baby and you've got a coalition government in which the Deputy Prime Minister and the Prime Minister don't always see eye to eye. Mr Peters is now Acting Prime Minister. I have the impression that he's not going to be given a free hand. I think the new mum, uh, in in the moments when she's not looking after the babe, will be on the phone, Mm. will be keeping mm-hmm. a very close eye on what's going on. She does not strike me as the kind of Prime Minister who is prepared to sit back and let somebody else take mm-hmm. charge. She's made
2: that perfectly clear right, that even she though has. she's
1: on maternity leave,
2: she can still be contacted and she will still read her Cabinet papers.
0: Uh, <laughs> uh, as we would expect. If she gets the yeah, charge. Yeah, sure. Absolutely, yes. Uh, do we expect any uh, problems with the Coalition uh, then, Juliet? Uh, or, as you say, she'll be she'll be uh, keeping a close eye on things. She'll be keeping a
2: close eye, but there are some commentators who 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 question its durability? Shall we say? Because, as, as Robin pointed out, you've got um, you've got Jacinda Ardern and her, her assistant, her, her acting prime minister, who are from different different parties, but they're working together. And there are problems already because I believe that um, he he pulled back from a controversial three strikes and you're out or the equivalent to a three strikes and you're out law. Mm-hmm. And I think he's also suing. Some of the heads of, of various departments over privacy issues or whatever. What she thinks about that is another thing altogether. But I guess that if you're the tactician, you sit back and if he gets dragged down in legal action, just see how it goes mm-hmm. because eventually it might be enough to distract him. And who knows, perhaps he'll just say, "Time to meet for me to uh, bow out." I doubt that will happen, but certainly the opponents of this coalition—they mm-hmm. they're scenting blood. They're holding back at the moment that they sent blood and these are the, pot- the potential
1: areas of weakness. The thing about coalitions is that they depend for their survival on, on, on a, a, a balance. Mm. And uh, when one part of that balance changes, and let's be clear, you know, it does change if the Prime Minister takes leave of absence, for whatever reason, it might only be temporary, but she's out of the hot seat just for a while, then the balance has shifted. Uh, I'm not convinced that Mr Peters is going to sort of suddenly decide that he can have things all his own way. He knows what the political realities Mm, are, and and, and he knows that the Prime Minister is hugely popular, and everybody, as I say, loves a new mum and a new baby. Mm -hmm. So all of those are in her favour, and possibly not in his. Um... It'll be interesting, but I don't think it's going to be Mm. catastrophic. But that's the great thing about coalition governments. I mean,
2: we've we've had a coalition government in in this Mm -hmm. country. And it it is quite funny how everybody starts off singing from the same hymn sheet and you get these declarations of this is what we're going to do. And yes, it's going to be great. You, the public, will not notice the great difference. Everything's going to be fine. And then all the sort of wonderful words tend to sort of end in acrimony Mm. (laughs) and and the struggle for survival. Because uh, certainly our experience of a coalition government over here between the Liberal-Democrats Democrats and the Conservatives. The Liberal Democrats, even though they held the balance of power, that they could have gone one way or the other do we go with the Conservatives or do we go with Labour? They went with the Conservatives in the end and they felt that they would have parity in that relationship. And then, of course, when you had the general election when David Cameron became the Prime Minister. The Liberal Democrats fessed up and said, well, actually, we were the junior partners, even though (laughs) the only way that David Cameron could become prime minister in his own right was because of us. And I wonder whether we're going to see something similar, a similar dynamic playing out in New Zealand, except in this case, it's, it's not two men pitched against each other. It's a woman and a man
0: on maternity leave for just six weeks. Just and six weeks, be, she'll yes. She'll be back. And, and uh, perhaps, uh, if nothing, a great, uh, good, great and good story for New Zealand's soft power globally. Uh, I want to just flip uh, now to Algeria, where students will have to z- stick uh, to their books and lecture notes this exam season as the country has pulled the plug on the internet temporarily in a bid to tackle cheating. Two years ago, questions uh, for exams were leaked online and were the main reason for this measure, it said, uh, Uh, perhaps a little bit of an overreaction, Robin. Uh, Yeah, the words sledgehammer and nut seem to come
1: (laughs) come to mind somewhat. I mean, if you've got a problem with exam papers being leaked, then deal with the problem. Mm -hmm. Uh, The problem is not the internet. The problem is that someone is leaking exam papers. Mm. It shouldn't be that difficult, first of all, to make sure that exam papers are kept under lock and key. Secondly, to make sure that nobody takes any kind of electronic device into an examination hall so they can't Mm, actually get anything. I mean... The internet is used for more than cheating an exam. <laughs> yeah. I suspect there are quite a few yeah. businesses around Algeria who are not exactly thrilled that, with that's the what idea I thought, that uh, even for a couple yeah. of hours they're suddenly getting well, exactly, without online access. Exactly,
0: it's, 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 it's a Bit
1: overreaction.
0: That's what I thought the story was about uh, at first, to be honest. And as we were saying before we came on air, I, I got na- nightmares about forgetting to hand in assignments or uh, sleeping through an exam. But I think I would be much more concerned about a world without internet access mm. in, in my job in our lives. Of work. Uh, how about you? <laughs> yeah, no, I, I totally agree. But you see, I, I think it's not going to make a blind bit
2: of difference because people are very inventive with their cheating. Now, I have to, I have to state that I didn't cheat. I was a goody-two-shoes. But I do remember when I was probably about thirteen or fourteen, and um, sitting in exam, and there was a guy who was sitting next to me who kept on looking at his knees. And what he did was that he actually rolled up his trouser legs. He wrote <laughs> his answers on his knees and was rolling up his trouser legs. I mean, I spotted this, and the teacher sort of noticed that his head kept on tipping down underneath the desk and Mm -hmm. it's like... OK, right. And she just suddenly noticed all these answers <laughs> written down his legs in blue ink. <laughs> so so kids will always find a way of cheating. Right. Like, you can bypass the, the internet if you want to.
0: <laughs> uh, uh, any other suggestions, Robin, on uh, how we could tackle cheating? I Well, I wouldn't dream of revealing
1: all my cheating secrets on oh, no. that. <laughs> um, so it was you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I haven't taken an exam for a very long time. Um, certainly not since the internet was invented. No, look, I mean, I, th- I think it's absolutely... Dotty to think that you, by shutting down the internet, you can stop people cheating. As Juliet says, there is a great incentive to cheat. Um, it's up to the examiners and the Examining bodies to make sure that cheating isn't possible, mm.
2: and I wonder if there's an ulterior motive as well—that that that, um, that that use that, that somebody somewhere is using the exams as a smokescreen. In other words, sure. let's see what happens in the two hours, and maybe we can get something out of this. Perhaps controlling political opposition or whatever—you mm. know—curbing the dissemination of a message by shutting down the internet, if not permanently, certainly for certain times of days. You know, when the when the when the internet traffic is at
0: its heaviest. So I'm a little bit skeptical. Uh, are we concerned that, uh, that a government would have this much power over our access to information? Well, it, I suppose it does bring home to us
1: that mm-hmm. uh, although many of us now can't imagine living without the Internet, even for 30 seconds, let alone for a period of hours, um, governments can switch it off mm-hmm. and they can restrict access to it. And it's not as kind of universal human right. It's not like breathing the air around us. Uh, and it's probably quite a salutary reminder. The Mm. governments do still have power over access to the internet. I'm not sure to what extent that will be true forever, but at the moment, yes, governments can shut it down.
2: It's an easy thing to play around with. I think Mm. in in Uganda, I I have heard that apparently the, the government actually wants to charge people for the use of the internet. And that's quite important because if internet usage is quite heavy among certain groups of people, and they're on a low income anyway, then it's a choice between giving up most of your income to pay it to the government, or actually defying that and still using it anyway, because the thirst for information Mm. is so important. Now, the government has said, oh, well, you know, it's just a tax raising measure. But of course, if you're a sceptic, you'd say, no, it's not a tax measure. you're, You're basically getting the best of both worlds. You're getting money on the one hand, but you're also controlling internet usage on the other by taxing it.
0: Or on the inverse, uh, perhaps many are going to lose their access to information as well, which is just as concerning. Well, we hope you've uh, gained lots of information from listening to us. That brings us to the end of today's show. Juliet Foster, Robin Lustig, thanks for joining us here on Midori House. Today's show produced by Fernando Augusto Pacheco, a research by Megan Atkinson, our studio manager, David Stevens. More music next, and then at 1900 hours, it is The Urbanist.